Welcome to the Westside Gathering Podcast, and thanks for making the time to learn and grow with us. Here, you'll find teaching from our live Sunday gatherings. After the message, we'll say a little more about our church and how you can connect. But for now, let's jump right in. I want to jump into uh, our talk today. We started a new series last week, and as I was thinking about it, a story came to mind uh, for me when I was, as I've been growing up, or when I grew up, <laughs> I guess I'm, I'm still growing up. Um, we're all still growing up, right? But as I was growing up as a young kid, I have these images of, um, of my home and uh, the kind of home I grew up in, uh, my parents, and often we talk about you know, growing in a loving home or maybe not growing in a loving home uh, for some. And for me, I had some, I kind of have like vivid images in my mind. Like I remember sitting in either the front seat while my dad was driving and sometimes he would like grab our hand and just hold our hand. Or sometimes even he'd like go to the, like come to the back of the car and uh, maybe hold our hand or something like that. That was an image in my mind just growing up that hasn't left me in terms of kind of the love and care um, that I would have grown up in. And even thinking, you know, I have pictures of in my in my head of seeing like my parents, you know, embrace in the kitchen uh, near the espresso machine. My dad had an espresso machine as well, and uh, and it was just like these kind of images, or my dad, um, you know, helping my sister with certain things, and sometimes the generosity that I noticed coming from them and and into our home and then out of our home, and it made me realize like none of us live in perfect homes. We had quirks in my house growing up, for sure, and now we have quirks in my house right now, <laughs> the one that we're building. Uh, but some of us have grown up in loving homes, and we can tell the difference. And even when you read some of the stats, uh, articles or journals or uh, in some, some areas of, of study, they, they'll say that like kids growing up in loving homes, uh, uh, you know, just either grow in different ways in terms of how they grow, how they, how they understand things, their confidence, uh, less anxiety. Uh, they learn to, to love. And, you know, we've heard that phrase, hurt people, hurt people. And I guess loved people, love people. And so we can see that happen. Now, that has nothing to do with how much money you have. It doesn't have anything to do with how much stuff you have or what kind of car is in the driveway or if you're in an apartment or a house or a small or large house. But often it has a lot to do with how much love you've been surrounded with. And there's all kinds of studies that show the difference. And I can even look back and just tangibly remember these moments of love, even in, in my home, which I'm so grateful for. We cut, kicked off the series last week called Established in Love. Now, it's not the kind of love necessarily that I just mentioned, but there is overlap. It's this core New Testament idea we read in, in a letter in the New Testament, uh, the letter of Ephesians, chapter 3, verse 17, where Paul writes to this church, and in the middle of writing to this church, and right in the middle of this letter as he shares this beautiful prayer, which we read last week around that, I encourage you to listen to last week's talk, he, he talks about how when one is strengthened in their inner being so Jesus can dwell in their hearts through faith as they are rooted and established in love. And it's this phrase, this short three or four word phrase that just jumped out at me over the summer as I was thinking about uh, what many of us desperately need uh, as people, as Christians, as a church community. And Paul seems to, to bring in this prayer this idea of what it means to be a Christian, what it means to follow Jesus, what it means to be a church, what it means for Christ to dwell in our hearts through faith, that it's 
also connected to this idea that following Christ, being a Christian, being a church community, is being rooted and established in love. Now, not just any love, as nice of a memory that I have of my dad grabbing you know, our hands in the car while we're driving, it's, it's much more robust than that. It's the love of God the Father, the creator of the universe, expressed through the life and death of Jesus Christ his Son. And when Paul writes in this letter that God is rich in mercy, that out of love he loved us and redeemed us and rescues us. And then later in Ephesians, and, and what I'm encouraging us to do this, this month is just read the book of Ephesians and look for the clues of love in this, in this letter because it's amazing. Later in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 2, Paul says he calls us to live in love, that, that we would live a life of love. But he says, as Christ loved us. So live a life of love as Christ loved us. So to be a loving person or community is following Christ's example. But it makes me ask this question. I don't know about you, but I ask this question. How can I live a life of love unless I'm growing in love? Like how am I going to live a life of love unless I'm growing in love. And here's a big idea, and it'll be on the screen, just a phrase we can remember, that you and I will struggle to live a life of love unless we learn how to grow in love. You and I will struggle to live a life of love, even following Christ's incredible example, unless we learn how to grow in love. So important. When N.T. Wright uh, writes about this passage, he, talk, he uses this phrase that we're, we need to be putting our roots down into this love of God the Father expressed in Christ Jesus. If you think about that, well, how, how does that start? How does that even start from scratch? Maybe you're here today and you're thinking like, well, how, how do I start this? Does it just mean that I, I just think about love? Does it mean that I think about God's love and that's how this is going to happen? Does it, is it only being uh, you know, connected to that in a theor- theoretical way? Well, in, in, uh, in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13, Paul says something uh, important there as he describes this. First, he tells us, well, I'll say it this way. If we want to be rooted in love, it starts by responding to Christ. Rootedness starts by responding. And responding includes receiving. So I'll say those two things just to start off. Rootedness starts with responding. Responding includes receiving. So responding to Christ, receiving from Christ. Well, look what Paul says in, in Ephesians 1.13. He says this, He says, in him, in Jesus, you also, when you had heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and had believed in him, you were marked with the seal of the promised Holy Spirit. Here's Paul letting this church know, and even us, understand what it means to be in Jesus, what it means to be rescued, what it means to be adopted into into God's family. But he, he he reminds them, when you heard this, when you believed it, you were marked with the seal of the Holy Spirit. You were brought into God's family. You and I, if we're following Christ, we've responded to the love of God. To be rooted starts with response. And response includes receiving. When John writes his gospel and he starts his gospel with an amazing few paragraphs about who Jesus is and how he's the word and the word was with God and was was God from the beginning, he, he comes down a little few more lines later and he says to everyone who's received him, Everyone who's believed in his name, they're given the right to become children of God. Isn't that amazing? To everyone who's received him, Jesus, 
and believed in him have now then turned, get into a path of becoming God's children. So being rooted starts with responding. Responding includes receiving. And so it's no surprise that all throughout the scriptures, we have terms in reference to who God is as father. We talked about that last week. And Jesus as son. And people who follow Christ as children or co-heirs or adopted. There's a New Testament scholar named Paul Campbell, and, and he writes a mammoth book on Paul, but he, he, this simple sentence, he says this. He says, while we were still hostile, the father offered up his beloved son to welcome us as adopted children. Just those, th- those three phrases, those three terms of reference, father, son, children. While we were still hostile, the father offered up his beloved son to welcome us as adopted children. Those are all relational terms. Why? To help us understand what it means to know God and be in relationship with God and respond to the gospel that God gives us and sends to us in Jesus. Now, here's, here's something Paul tells us in Ephesians. And like I said, how, how we're working this whole series out this, this month is like we're using that phrase, rooted and established in love, and then we're kind of like going around Ephesians and like, Picking up these things, i got to fix this, thanks. Uh, picking up these little references to love all throughout the letter. So here's, here's Ephesians 1, verse 5 to 6, that I think will help us get rooted a bit more today. He, talking about the Father, Paul already refers to God as Father a few verses above. So let's say, the Father destined us for adoption as his children through Jesus Christ, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace that he freely bestowed on us in the, and what's, what's that word he says? Can everybody say it? In the beloved. Now, it's a, it might not be in every translation that's in the house today or that you have at home. It's in, this, it's in the NRSV and a couple of other translations that, that try and get some of the words closer to the original. But here Paul is letting us know that as we've been adopted as children into God's family through Jesus Christ, we have been given this grace freely bestowed on us in the beloved. It, like, is he introducing another person here? No, he's talking about Jesus. Jesus is the beloved. And think about it. Where does Paul get this idea that Jesus is the beloved? Well, it comes from Jesus' baptism in Matthew chapter 3. You might be familiar with it. Maybe you're not. As the opening of Matthew's gospel, Matthew tells us, uh, gives us a, a snapshot of the moment when Jesus gets baptized in the Jordan with John the Baptist. John the Baptist baptizes him. Paul wasn't there. But it's part of the tradition of Scripture, the story of Scripture, the apostolic witness the church is living out of. And so Paul is coming back to this moment. He's referring to Jesus as the beloved. And, and as, as Matthew paints this picture for us, as Jesus is getting baptized, the, the sky opens up, the heavens open up in a sense, and we hear or they hear God's voice from heaven on earth, from God's space into our space, and we've talked about this before, that heaven is not some faraway place we go to. Heaven is God's space, God's realm, and earth is our space. And in this moment, both spaces are working together. So it's as if God's in the other room, we're over here, we hear God's voice from the other room. It's as as though now, and here's God's voice over Jesus, and he says these words right at his baptism. This is my beloved son. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. 
And this moment in the gospel stories in the life of Jesus is really the shift point from where Jesus becomes a nobody to a somebody. Not that he was ever a nobody, but that nobody knew him. Nobody really knew who Jesus was. Jesus never performed a miracle at this point, never preached a sermon, never called a disciple, never uh, went out and, and taught or healed or did anything. He wasn't known publicly much at this point. And right before any of this ever happens, he's rooted and established in the love of his Father. Before any of this happens, he's rooted and established in God's love. And this is so instrumental to who Jesus is, to his identity, to his purpose, to his confidence, to his effectiveness, to his ministry. And what we notice as we read through the Gospels, I love this, is that we can skim through the Gospels and notice how much Jesus leans into his relationship with his Father. Spends time early morning, he gets up early, and he goes and spends time with his Father in prayer and conversation. The Gospels clearly tell us that Jesus is, is listening for his Father's voice to do the Father's will. So he has this deep relationship with God the Father. He's listening for the Father's voice so he can fulfill the Father's will. And I love this one part in the Gospels. That John tells us this. He records a prayer of Jesus, the priestly prayer, John 17, a famous part of the Gospels. Um, and he, Jesus here is praying for his disciples. And, and consequentially, he's praying for us too. And he's praying that they will become one, united, in the same way that he and the Father are one. And just listen, listen to this language a little bit that, that you catch. i got to just find it here. And uh, I, want, I want you just to listen to it. It won't be on the screen. But just listen to the language. From verse 22. So here's Jesus right in the middle of this prayer. The glory that you've given me, I've given them so that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become completely one so that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you've loved me. Father, I desire that those also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory which you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Listen to the words of Jesus back to his father. You loved me before the foundation of the world. Righteous father, the world does not know you, but I know you, and these know that you have sent me, and I made your name known to them, and I will make it known so that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. What a, what a great picture of the kind of relationship, the kind of rootedness Jesus has in the love of his Father. And he, and he tells us, too, in this prayer that, that, that the way that we will be the, most, the, the strongest, most visible, tangible, effective witness in the world is when we experience that. And we also become one as Jesus and the Father are one out of that love. And now think about Jesus' last words on the cross. I'm just going to take us to one last scene in the Gospel. Last moments on the cross, Jesus refers to God as Father in that moment. And twice, once he says, Father, forgive them. He's looking at everybody that has done this to him. And he says, Father, forgive them. He knows 
the kind of essence his father is. Father, forgive them. That's the words that come out of his mouth. And then later on, just before he dies, he says, Father, I commit my spirit to you. Father, I trust you. I'm committing this. I'm committing myself, my full self to you. I don't know about you, but as you, as you just kind of get a glimpse of the gospel story of the life of Jesus, Jesus is putting down roots into the Father's love, and everything he does flows out of this identity that he is beloved, that he's beloved. There's a, an author um, who's not alive anymore. His name is Henry Nouwen, and uh, he taught at Yale and Harvard. And then for the chunk of later part of his life, he served uh, in a community with um, mentally handicapped people that he just served them faithfully. But Nouwen was was a writer, was a poet, was an author, was an intellect, and yet he he served lovingly uh, for at least 20 years of his life. Well, he had a friend in New York. His name was Fred. Fred was, was like a New, New York intellectual, New York businessman. And him and Fred became really good friends, and they shared a lot with each other. They shared their fears, their doubts, their struggles, their longings. Fred wasn't a follower of Jesus. Henry Nouwen was. But they became really close friends. And Fred asked him in kind of like a way that Fred would have asked, you know, what, what is this spirit you hear? Like, you know, talking about God. And... Um, now, when, when he recalls that, he, he says, you know, Fred was asking me to respond to the great spiritual hunger and thirst that exists in countless of people who walk the streets of big cities like New York. He knew his friend Fred. He knew what Fred was struggling with, what Fred needed, what Fred was longing for, that Fred, in his everyday life, was defeated by the distractions and the deception and, 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 the, and you know, the ambitious goals that a city like New York puts on you. And Fred was longing for what his friend had or knew or understood or experienced. And so now in leads him to understand who Jesus is. But here's this one key aspect, and he writes it in this book called The Life of the Beloved. He wants Fred to know every day, if you step into this relationship with Jesus, you too can know every single day that you are beloved, that you are God's child, that you can be rooted in this love. And when someone like a friend says, how can I withstand all the stuff that's around me in a city like New York? Not that everything's bad, but you know, the drive and the ambition and the, and, 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 and the distractions and all kinds of stuff. And the response is to his friend, root yourself in a loving God expressed in Christ. And you too can be reminded every day that you're beloved. And here's the beauty of this. This doesn't just apply to Jesus. Like God said these words to Jesus, but we must take these words for us. That we every day must remind ourselves that we're beloved. One of the best examples of this is, is the, the famous parable in Luke 15, right? The lost son or the parable of the prodigal son. And uh, we're not going to read it in its entirety. And hopefully most of us get a glimpse and remember what that's all about. But it's this wealthy father, right? A wealthy father in, in the Middle East in the first century. He has two sons. And as Jesus tells this story, he's telling this story in the sequence of two, three other stories of what it feels to be lost and what it feels to be found and what it feels to be rescued by God. 
It's given us a picture of the gospel in the kingdom. But this particular story, right? This wealthy father has these two sons and the younger son decides to just like, I want my inheritance. I want my part. I want to go live my life. I want to do my own thing. Leave me alone. So he takes the money, goes, lives his life, squanders it in the end, realizes he's just in a mess. He's in a pit. It doesn't make sense. Why am I even here? You know, I'd be better off. My dad won't take me back, but I'd be better off even working for him than here. So he makes his way back. And there's this moment on the road when the, fa- when the son is coming and the father notices that he's coming and they come and there's this moment of welcome and embrace. And the complete different thing happens than the son expected. The father doesn't say, here, here's a shovel. Go and work with everybody else. Here, I'll put you on the payroll. Here, you can get in the, like, here's the other, you know, like, here's the townhouse down the street where you, no, he says, Okay, you know what we're going to do? I'm going to get you a robe. We're going like, to do a crazy meal, and we're going to celebrate that you're home. And the father, here Jesus gives us this picture of a father lovingly welcoming back his rebellious son home into his, into his heart, into, his, into, into love. The older son is aggravated. The older son is so upset, right? He's so upset. He's been so good. He's been so moral. He's been so righteous. He's gotten up every day early. He's done everything he has to do. He's managed the parts of, of, the, of, of the house or the, the business well. And he's, he's mad. He's like, why are we allowing like, this guy to come back? He's been a jerk. He's taken all your money, half your money at least, and now he's spent it all, and now he comes back, and he doesn't smell great. He doesn't look great. He, it's horrible. Why would, and why would you welcome him back? Why would you spend a penny on celebrating his return. Why not just treat him like hired help? And here's the picture Jesus gives us of a father lovingly reminding the older son that he's always loved him, that he's never stopped loving him, that there's nothing that even this older son can do or not do to separate him from that love, and that there's more than enough love for him and his younger brother. There's more than enough love for both of them to receive. And that's why when Tim Keller writes a book on this whole parable, and he titled it so well, he called it Prodigal God. Not prodigal son, prodigal God. The word prodigal means reckless. It means extravagant. And we often like look at the younger son, right, who went and spent all the money and said he was so reckless with that money. He extravagantly spent it all. But Keller reminds us of something really important. God is the prodigal here as well because he's reckless with his love and he's extravagant with his love. And the father lavishly gives his love away to both sons, to the religious and reckless son, uh, sorry, to the rebellious and reckless son and to the religious and rigid son. To both sons. He's telling us the gospel is not this and is not this. The gospel is something way bigger. And both use their father for their own selfish ends. And yet both also struggle to receive the father's love, to understand the father's love, to serve the father out of that love. Yet the father demonstrates this posture of love to both sons. He's basically saying, I want to deal with you relationally, not contractually. I want to deal with you relationally, not contractually. And this love helped the rebellious son return to the father's love. And that same love of the father helped the religious son experience his love. 
that he wasn't experiencing. He was doing all the right things, still lived in the house, had everything, but he wasn't experiencing it. And to both sons, the, the reckless and rebellious, the religious and the rigid, one can return to that love, one can finally maybe experience it for the first time. And here's why I wanted to clue into this parable and connect it to Jesus. Because if we don't first see God like this, if we don't first see God like this, God you know, will relate to us in a variety of ways because he loves us. Sometimes he will correct us. Sometimes he'll discipline us. Sometimes he'll bring wisdom towards us. Sometimes he'll also show us his judgment. Sometimes he, you know, just like a loving parent will do. But if we fir- don't first see God like this or first respond to the, go- to the gospel like this, we risk knowing the true nature of God's love as father. And, he, and worse, or on a side connection to this, we risk using the gospel and we risk using Christianity as another worldly contractual system that's void of relationship. That's what ends up happening. If we don't first see God like this, if we don't first see the gospel like this. So in this parable, we have this similar, look at this, Jesus is, it's like he's telling us, I want you to know, you too can be beloved of the Father. You too can be beloved of the Father. You too can have your identity rooted in the love of the Father. You too can take this title, this name, this, this label, not, 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 you know, not the name of Jesus, not his work, but this word beloved, and listen for God's voice over you. Because being a Christian is growing in love and growing from love. Doesn't mean that we never have to stand on some tough things. It doesn't mean that, that there's no contrast in how we live with the world. It doesn't mean that sometimes there's not going to be persecution. It doesn't mean that it's not often hard to, to follow Jesus in the world we live in. That's all part of what it means to follow Christ. But the heart of, of what are we growing out of and in, it's we're growing in this love and growing out of this love for who God's shaping us to be. And so before, like, the next few weeks as we kind of jump into maybe what that love looks like among us and in the world and, and, and in our daily lives, you know, I wanted to just kind of really get rooted in this, this sense of, yeah, it's great. Like, last week we could know about this love, but are we growing in this love? Is it really the soil we grow out of? Is it really the, you know, the, the foundation that we stand on and that we rise on? Because sometimes when we think it sounds, it sounds too good. But isn't that the gospel? Isn't the gospel too good? It's too good. And Jesus, God sent his son Christ in a relational form. He came and dwelled among us. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. God sent his son in that way. And wasn't it countercultural to go to the cross? It was countercultural. Doesn't, it doesn't make sense that God would use a cross to express his love for us through his son, Jesus. So what do we do with that? How do we grow? And, and um, I'm not going to teach you anything different. I'm not going to say, you've, you know, you've probably never done this, so now do this. I'm not going to do that. But really briefly... Here's a couple of ideas to put our roots down into this love. 
First, it's just an overarching question. As Christ followers, every day, throughout our week, throughout our life, it's really important to really ask yourself some questions so you're reflecting, is my life reflecting the soil that, like the soil of God's love that it's meant to be rooted in? Like if it's true that Christ dwells in my heart through faith as I'm being rooted and established in love, then it's important that we just ask ourselves this question. Like, is my life reflecting the soil of God's love in Christ Jesus? Am I, if I'm in that soil, I will, will likely be hearing the voice of God, you are my beloved son, you are my beloved daughter. Is that your experience? Another question, in the, a question inside the question, inside the question, maybe we'll make it like the Inception movie. Okay, sorry, I just like detoured really, really sidetracked on that. Um, but, but here's the thing, right? Are, how are you responding to the world around you? Are you responding to the world around you like a child who's grown up in love or hurt? How are you responding to the world around you? Now, I know that there's some things in our lives that are really significant. And apart from God's love, we've experienced some, some damaging things. But in, just in respect to what it means to follow Jesus, am I responding as a Christian to the world around me like someone who's grown up in God's love? Is that my soil? Is that my fruit? So here's nothing new for spiritual practices, but all I'm going to ask you to do is just adjust your lens. Just adjust your lens, because we talk about it a lot. Like, generally, when people say, how do you grow as a Christian? You know, read your Bible, pray, worship, connect with the church. Kind of the four, you know, the four legs of a table in terms of spiritual growth. We're not going to get into them deeply. All I'm saying is this. What does it mean to adjust our lens? What if we engage the spiritual practices we already are working with, are already uh, giving to the Lord, are already saying, Lord, use these to help me grow and understand who you are and, 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 and transform into the, the person that you're calling me in Christ. What if we just adjusted our lenses with those spiritual practices, that those spiritual practices were done through the lens of love? Because Jesus told us in John 15, abide in me. And I will abide in you, and you will bear much fruit. So what if when we read Scripture, and I love studying Scripture, and we love teaching it, and it's so important, what if we reminded ourselves that Scripture is a loving word from God, your Heavenly Father? What if you were just reminded of that, that when you read Scripture, every day or weekly or how much you immerse yourself in Scripture, and whatever plan you're following uh, is, is not the point right now. The point is this. When you read Scripture... Or do you remember that this is a loving word from God your Father? That, that as you're, you're reviewing the Scripture, you're reading the Scriptures, you're studying the Scriptures, that you're reminded that this is God's word to you and he loves you. So important that we absorb the Scriptures with this foundation. Now, the scriptures are going to teach us so many things, but at the heart of it, we said last week, God is love. That's what John tells us later in the New Testament. So are we reading the scriptures as a loving word from God? Are we praying, and here's, this is important, as though prayer is a loving conversation with God? That's a lens. That's a lens shift. Are we praying as though prayer is a loving conversation with God? When you pray, are you in a posture of receiving or just talking? Because prayer, as a loving conversation, changes the way you pray and changes how you experience prayer. And then worship. Is worship just a place we express ourselves? 
No, it's something we do that gives worth to who God is. That's what worship is. But what if we saw worship as loving time with God? Loving time with God. One of the Psalms I love starting my day with is Psalm 27, where David writes, one thing I ask, one thing I seek, is that I would dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, and check this out, and see the beauty of the Lord, and seek him in his temple. I don't know about you, but whenever I start my days reciting that small portion of Psalm 27, Lord, one thing I ask, one thing I seek, that I would dwell in your house. Lord, I want to be with you. I want to be with you. I want to be present with you. That I would see your beauty be captivated. That you'd just blow my imagination away of how beautiful and wonderful and loving and caring and powerful you are. So I will seek you with all my heart. What if worship shifted and it was loving time with God? Loving time with God. And it's not a surprise that when Jesus sums up the whole law and the prophets, he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And then the last one, church. Hey, we're here this morning. It's awesome. You guys felt it was important. It's a spiritual practice. It's a stream in our life that helps us grow. But, what, but sometimes the church can be, I've got to get my kids to church so they know about Jesus, so they, get good ki- they become good people. Or I've got to get to church because, you know, I'm going to learn and grow, and that's important. And there's so many things that we can use church for or think church is. But, and, and, and we've done, you know, teaching like weeks on weeks on what the church is. But just, just to shift our lines for a second, what if we also saw the church as a loving family, as God's loving family? Not a perfect family. <laughs> no family is perfect, and, uh, and our you know, pocket of church community in the world is not perfect either, but a loving family. What if the spiritual discipline, the practice of being part of the body of Christ, we shifted our lens a bit and said, wait a second, this is not just a place I go to, this is not just a place I learn, this is not just a place for my kids, this is not just you know, a way to, that I can have an outlet to serve It could be all those things, but if I shift my lens a bit, this is a loving family. And then how we receive and how we contribute changes. Now, you might, some of you guys might have this objection, and I'm going to close with this. I'm going to ask the team to come up as we wrap up. Some of you might have an objection. You might say, Dave, like the way you're talking, can't we turn God into some warm, fuzzy, diluted, diluted, not diluted, diluted companion? Like, isn't it possible that God just becomes a, like a, a fuzzy stuffed animal in your life if this is how we talk about God? And no, that's not. I know sometimes we, we might look at this and say, uh, you know, some of the things might come in our minds, but what about this? But what about that? But what about this? And like we said last week, God is love, and out of his love, he has various attributes in how he responds to us. He's still God. He's still the creator and ruler of the universe. And I think about this, like your mom or your dad, no matter how old you get, no matter how much money you make, no matter how little money you make, they're still your parents, right? So as you get older, as you mature, they're still your parents. Now, you would never want to have a non-loving relationship with your parents, but they're still your parents. They still have this role in your life. When in my 20s, my relationship with my dad, as I matured and our relationship matured, I didn't lose respect for my dad. I gained respect for my dad. 
But it was still out of a loving relationship. I still have this image in my mind of him reaching over the back seat in his black 1988 Cutlass Supreme Oldsmobile. Like, and it was just like he grabbed my hand and holding it. I could still feel his finger and his thumb on, my, on the top of my palm, on the top of my hand, because it's still out of love. But as I grew and matured and our relationship grew, I didn't lose respect for my dad. I gained respect for my dad. I gained respect for, for, for my parents. Because our relationship matured, and so did my understanding of his great love for me and his role as a parent. And I know I say this, and some of us have had different experiences, but I want to just get this, the, the big idea across. As we grow in faith, and as we mature in faith, and as we study the Bible, and as we learn doctrine, and as we do all that stuff, it's never, we never walk away from love. We keep growing in love. And the respect and reverence and worship of God just grows, because he is still God. So never feel like receiving love from God or loving God is ever a diluted version of faith. It's actually the most robust. It's out of that that we learn and grow and gain wisdom. So I want to pray and um, just take a moment and you guys can just start maybe just by singing those, those few lines we sang today about God's love. that we build our lives on his love. So just take a moment right now and just want us to allow the Holy Spirit to kind of fix in our hearts and our minds this, the image of Jesus being baptized, the words of his heavenly father, our heavenly father, speaking over him. You're my beloved. And regardless, maybe your life is veered towards the rebellious side, maybe it's veered towards the overly religious side, and I just want us to, even in prayer right now, allow the Holy Spirit to give us an image of God our Father as one who might tell the rebellious, you're welcome. You're loved. You can come home. We're still going to cook a meal for you. I still love you. You're maybe the over-religious side. Maybe that's been your experience, your character, your the way you've come to faith or developed in faith and you're looking at all the lavish love of God towards others and gets you mad like that's not fair they haven't been so great they've done some horrible things they don't serve or give and you're looking at them instead your heavenly father is looking at you and saying I've always loved you not because of how awesome you are or how good you are, how well you serve or how much you give. I love you. You're my beloved. Let's just dwell on that for a moment as we sing these words or maybe they're sung over us. Our Heavenly Father, our Heavenly Father, we 
recognize your great love for us expressed in Christ Jesus, your son. God, I pray for some here today that have either just recently or even today want to make a step to respond to your love from what they've heard and how they're choosing to believe. Oh God, as some make that step, Lord, thank you that you mark them with your Holy Spirit. And they too can become your children, part of your family. God, thank you that we can hear your voice over us, calling us your beloved children, your beloved son, your beloved daughter. And while we sometimes make a connection to our earthly families, God, we know that they often will fail us. They often will give us a different picture of you. And so, God, especially for some today that have struggled out of their family experiences, have struggled out of their relationships, have struggled out of maybe marriages or sibling relationships or parent relationships, God. Lord, may they hear your voice so loud, so clearly today that they are your beloved, your beloved son, your beloved daughter, your beloved children. And God, while we love to learn and grow and study and handle doctrine and orthodoxy well and (laughs) interpret the whole of scripture through the church and the wonderful creeds and a community of faith, Lord. Oh God, may you help us adjust our lens to know that, that you're lovingly speaking to us through the scriptures, that that we can have a loving conversation with you in prayer. Oh God, that we can spend loving time with you in your presence, and that you call us into a loving family. Oh God, would you shape and renew and make fresh these spiritual practices so we can put our roots down deeply into love and grow in love because we long to live in love. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope this message helps guide you on your spiritual journey of discovering the life and message of Jesus. We update this podcast weekly, so why not hit subscribe and journey with us? Who are we? Westside Gathering is a local church in the West Island of Montreal. We're a simple community of faith where we want you to feel welcome, even if you're not into church or religion. We meet every Sunday, but you can also find smaller groups, environments, and resources for all ages between Sundays. Find out more at westsidegathering.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Vimeo. We'd love to hear from you. Ask a question, ask for help, or let us know how we can pray for you. If you'd like to contribute financially, just go to westsidegathering.com forward slash giving. Until next time, peace.